just thank you for me. Wait, we're gonna. We're not done. We're gonna. We're gonna thank him for you too. Just. You just didn't let me finish. We just thank you for me, and Lord, I pray you'd show these people I'm right about these things today. And God, I just pray for these people too that you would help them. <laughs> Amen. I want to talk about living in wholeness. I'm not sure what that has to do with. I'll say something about the word bride. What's what is it? Waking up. What? Wide awake. Okay. <laughs> That's going to be tonight. I'll speak on wide awake. <laughs> I can't be a hypocrite. I am. They lost my luggage. I know. Good thing I had an extra pair of underwear. <laughs> then the water shower was cold this morning. Send you ambulance, you know. Life is so hard. <laughs> okay. Did I tell you what we're doing? Okay. We're talking about living in wholeness, and and we're gonna talk about waking up in wholeness. Would you turn to Acts chapter 3, please? <laughs> Sorry. I have all these really deep guys up front, and I'm like, this is just what I do. I'm so sorry. I don't know how to be deep. No, I've been with Bill for, how long have we been with Bill? 36 years, you know. It's so amazing. He's, he's amazing. Bill and Benny, too. We, we love them both. But, you know, Bill stands behind the podium, and he just, like, throws out one-liners. And we call it the power pause. Then he just stops. People are like, wow. That's amazing. I tried that, you know? I tried to be Bill for two years. I throw out one line, and people are like, and I pause, and people are like, forgot his message, didn't he? <laughs> Poor kids just getting started, you know? So Acts chapter 3, verse 1. Now Peter and John were going up to the temple at the ninth hour, the hour of prayer. And a man who had been lame from his mother's womb was being carried along, whom they used to set down every day at the gate of the temple, which is called Beautiful, in order to beg alms of those who were entering the temple. And when he saw Peter and John about to go into the temple, he began asking them to receive alms. But Peter, along with John, fixed his gaze on him and said, Look at us. And he began to give them his attention, expecting to receive something from them. But Peter said, I do not possess silver or gold. We are pastors. But what we do have, we give to you. In the name of Jesus Christ, walk. And seizing him by the right hand, he raised him up, and immediately his feet and his ankles were strengthened. And with a leap, he stood upright, and he began to walk, and he entered the temple with him, walking, leaping, and praising God. Can you say that? He entered the temple with them, walking, leaping, and praising God. Now look at the very next verse. When all the people saw him walking and praising God, what was he doing? He was walking, leaping, 
and praising God. What do the people see him do? Walking and praising God. How many know he was walking, he got physically, physically healed? He was leaping, he got emotionally healed. And he was praising God, he got spiritually healed. And I'd like to propose to you that God cares about the whole man. That, that Jesus always healed in a way, Jesus always, always touched people in a way that they got whole. They walked, they leaped, and they praised God. But what did the church see? What does the church value? Walking and praising God. And I want to talk today about wholeness. In Matthew, you know, I, I went through this season in our life, in my life, actually in the life of our church, but it really affected me personally. When, you know, we see people healed, literally we see people healed every week, probably every day because our students, our congregation is out just praying for the sick. It's just one of the things we do. We, we pray for the sick in every service. We pray for the sick in every board meeting. Seriously, we pray for the sick whenever we get together. It's just something that, that Bill has really brought to our environment. And so we see lots and lots of people healed. And let me be clear, we see lots of people not healed too. We're, we're, not, we're not anywhere as close to 100%. But, um, and sometimes, you know, people go home and, and you know, they, they, they come terminally ill and they go home and they, they're totally well and we get these reports. And we have a culture of testimony. So also in every meeting we share testimonies, every single meeting. We don't, we don't do a board meeting without a half an hour of testimonies. Our staff meeting is, is two hours long, and it's an hour and 30 minutes of testimonies. Um, and we just do testimonies. It's what keeps us alive. How many of you know, in the Old Testament, they were to keep the covenant, I'm sorry, to keep the commandments and the testimonies. We have a full-time person on staff, and she has a team of people, and her, her full-time job is to keep track of the testimonies. And we, started, we just developed a new website. It should be launched really soon. And what we did is we put all the testimonies in categories. So if you've been healed of a certain kind of cancer, you'll be able to type that type of cancer in and all the testimonies of everyone that we've, that we've double-checked to make sure they really got healed will come up. Because how many know if God did it for someone else, he'll do it for you. The testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. And so that's encouraging, and we're excited about that. But, but we'll also have to endure the times when, when for whatever reason, that the person's not healed. Um, the, the most, I think, uh, some, and, and, you know, and that just happens in our culture, and, and frankly, it, you know, there are lots of people who don't get healed. So as, as one of the leaders of our culture, you just have to figure out some way to deal with that. And, and um, you know, we, we call that embracing mystery. You know? we, we try not to have answers for things that God hasn't talked to us about. So we, we don't make excuses for God. We're not God's attorney. It doesn't mean that we don't wrestle with God, though. And the, I think some of the, the, so I went through this season, and one of the toughest things that happens, of course, is when somebody, when somebody doesn't get healed, or what's most confusing for me is when somebody gets healed, and then a while later they die from the same disease. And, um, I, and, and by the way, we ask people every week, you know, we pray for the sick every week in every service, I told you that, we have seven services on the weekend, and we have them, you know, raise your hand if your symptom went away. And we realize that sometimes people raise their hand for whatever reason, or they raise their hand, quote, by faith, or they need to go get checked out by a doctor. And so there are all those. But, there are, but, I, want to, but, but I want to talk to you today about three people that were really close in my life. They had terminal diseases, 
They got healed. And let me, first of all, let me disqualify what I mean because of what I just told you. They went to the doctor and they, they got tested and they had these diseases. So this is, this is like, all three of these had an ongoing history of long-term terminal illnesses. They got prayer over a period of time. And these three people that I'm talking about each got healed, went back to the doctor, and all the symptoms were gone. So, so that's what I'm talking about right now. I'm not talking about the guy who raised his hand. Or, you know, and that's all fine. I'm just telling you a story about... And, and of course, that, that happens. You know, it happens a lot in our culture, more than we probably want to admit. But these three people happen to be close to me. And how many know it's quite different when somebody you pray for that you don't really know or you know them casually or they came from another country to get healed and we have people fly in every single service because it's their last ditch hope and some doctor somewhere says, well, I hear people get healed over there at Bethel. You might want to try that, you know? And some of these doctors are not even believers. They're just, their patients have gotten healed and they're like, I had a patient get healed of that. You might want to try that. You know, that faith healing stuff sometimes works, you know? No, really, I, I, we really have had him say that. So, but these three, these three people were real close to me. And they got healed. And within, I think all three of them, within 18 months, died of the very thing that they got healed from. And that starts to get underneath your armor. It gets close to your heart. You know, it's a family member. It's a close friend. This, this uh, one, one of them I remember, this one wasn't the one who was close to me. It wasn't one of the three, but uh, I remember it vividly. There was a man that came into our uh, environment some years ago, and he had terminal cancer, fourth stage terminal cancer. Uh, he was not a believer. He got saved in our church. And um, what you could see on the outside is he had a very big, it looked like a, t- a gorder, but it was a tumor on his neck, like a big old huge thing, the size of probably... Uh, um, a lemon right here. And he got prayed for many times in our church. He was with us for a while. And one, uh, I think it was a Sunday evening, it doesn't really matter, but he got prayed for again, and the tumor right before the, the, the eyes of the people who were praying for him, which wasn't any of our leaders, just went away. It just shrunk right before their eyes. I mean, uh, the, what, the part I remember is people were over in the corner screaming. And, you know, we all ran over there, and that tumor was gone. And that man was in our, in our you know, in, in our uh, community for probably four or five months before, he, before that went away. And so, and he started, and he, it, uh, the, he had tumors actually all inside where you couldn't see it around his neck. And so he, could, he was, had a neck brace on. He couldn't hold his head up without that neck brace on because it had eaten away at his muscles. And, 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 and he had this one protruding below the, the neck brace. And so when that... That happened, they took his neck brace off, and he could move his neck, and he said, I, I, and he's, of course, crying and saying, I think I'm healed, I think I'm totally healed. And the short story is he goes back to the, his doctor after a week or so, and he's completely well. They can't find cancer anywhere in his body. It's a great, a great, great testimony. And he, he was with us for another year, and then about a year, I, I'm sorry, I, I will have the time wrong if you do research. But sometime later, about a year he died from the same thing that he got healed from. And so I, I, when, my, when that happened to my three friends, and very close together, like within 18 months of each other, it really, really got to me. And I, I began to wrestle with God. And you know, Jacob wrestled with God, and he, 
he came out with a limp. And I heard a man say many years ago when I was a youth pastor, he said, I wouldn't, I wouldn't trust a leader who doesn't walk with a limp. Because, see, I think that you have a choice to make when you, when you have an experience that's different than the, than, than the Bible. You have to decide whether you're going to reduce your theology down to your experience or whether you're going to wrestle with God to get your experience to match the scriptures. And so I, I just began to wrestle with God because our, our deal is, is like, that's not okay, and there is an answer. And so I went through this season where it wasn't, it wasn't, it wasn't a healthy season. It wasn't a helpful season in the sense of I wasn't excited or happy. But I, I began to talk to God and wrestle with God and say, you said this and this happened, and I'd like to know why. And so for months... I, I, I just started reading the scriptures around healing. And, um, and I just took the life of Jesus because Jesus had 100%. He had 100% you know, healing ratio, which is pretty good. <laughs> and, the, and so I studied every miracle that Jesus did. Now, how many of you know that lots and lots of times the, 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 the Gospels will say, and Jesus healed them all? You don't even know how he healed them. Like, how did he do that? Was he there day and night? Or did he go, you know, woo, wave the magic wand? How, how did he do it? But there's 27 specific miracles in the life of Jesus in which it tells you how Jesus did the miracle. And what's interesting is every single miracle in which it tells you how Jesus did the miracle all of those miracles he did differently. In other words, <laughs> you can't make a formula out of how he did things. One of the first things that, that really touched me is the story of the centurion. And it's in Matthew chapter 8, and it starts around verse 5. And I'll just tell you this one, because it's all these stories I'm going to tell you are, are common. If, you, if you've been a believer very long, you've read these stories. So I'll read a couple of them to you, but I'll tell you them because most of them, you know the story. The centurion comes to Jesus, where in one gospel it says he sent his, his servant to come to Jesus. But the point is, he sends a message to Jesus, and he says, my servant is sick. And Jesus said, well, I'll come to your house, and I'll heal you, heal your servant. And the centurion says, you don't need to come to my house. All you need to do is speak the word. Now, this is pretty amazing for a number of reasons. Now, here's the centurion's thinking. Like, this is why the centurion doesn't think he needs to come to his house. For I know that you're a man under authority. And I'm a man under authority. And I say to this one, go, he goes. And to this one, come, and he comes. So you don't need to come to my house. You just need to speak the word. My servant will be healed. Now, this is a pretty amazing story for lots of reasons. First of all, this first century Roman centurion understands quantum physics in the first century. He understands there's really no such thing as time and space. Like, you don't have to come to my house. You just speak the word from here, and it will happen there. That's pretty amazing. But this guy, now, here's what he doesn't say. He doesn't say, I'm a man under authority. I know you're a man under authority. Why don't you just send one of your disciples? Now, if he said that, that would be a, different, a, whole, diff, a whole different revelation, wouldn't it? That would be the, the revelation of impartation. Like, you can train people, and you don't have to go. Just send somebody, and my servant 
can be healed through your servant. But he doesn't say that. But he does say this, I'm a man under authority and I send people out. And you're a man under authority, so you don't have to come to my house. What is he saying? The context is when you speak, somebody goes out and does your will, but they're not in the visible realm. In other words, this guy has some understanding of the angelic realm, that when Jesus speaks that the angels, Psalms 103 said that the angels, they listen to his voice and they carry out his will. When God speaks the word, who carries out the word? I don't know, always, but I know that the angels participate in carrying out the will of God. And the centurion thinks that Jesus has invisible armies at his disposal because he said, I have people under my, under my authority, you have people under your authority, you don't have to go, you just speak the word, somebody's going to go out in this realm and touch my servant. Well, that's an amazing story. But here's, here's so, but it creates a core value for me, a foundational value, and that is this. What does Jesus have to do to get somebody healed? Come on, this is not a trick question. All he has to do is speak a word, right? My, in other words, he doesn't have to do anything besides speak a word for someone to get healed. Are you with me? This is important for the rest of what we're going to say. He doesn't have to do anything but speak a word. My point is this, if he does something besides speak a word, he's doing something besides healing someone physically. Are you with me? See, I think that sometimes people obtain things they can't sustain. I'd like to suggest that sometimes people have a physical sickness. Everybody say sometimes. Okay. Sometimes people have a sickness they have something wrong with them, an illness, a disease that's in their body. But the root of it is in another dimension of their tri-dimensional tri being. In other words, sometimes I'm convinced that, for instance, my, my friend who has the tumor, he gets completely physically healed. But I like to propose that the real illness was not in his body, but was either in his spirit or soul. And because, we, because he didn't get whole, he only got healed, the ecosystem that created the tumors and the cancer was still reproducing the problem. I said sometimes, let's not make a formula out of everything, okay? Sometimes people's sickness is rooted in their body, and they get healed and they stay healed. But sometimes their sickness is rooted in another part of their being, and they get healed, but they don't get whole. So they obtain things they can't sustain. <laughs> but God wants them to walk, to what? Leap, and to praise God. <laughs> You're all right. You're going to get this. You're going to live. In Luke chapter 5, verse 12, it's the story of Jesus healing lepers. Now, there are several stories about Jesus healing lepers, and there's a couple of different things that Jesus did when he healed lepers. But did you notice that besides the ten lepers, and we're going to talk about those ten lepers in a minute, besides the ten lepers, there's one thing that all lepers had in common that Jesus healed. Do you know what it is? He touched them. He touched them. Does Jesus have to touch a leper to get healed? 
Do you know that in half the cases listed in the, in the Gospels where Jesus touched the leper, in half the cases when Jesus touched them, they didn't get healed? In Luke 5, it says that when Jesus touched the leper, he got healed. In every single case, after Jesus touches the leper, whether or not they got healed, you know what Jesus told them? Every single one of them. Go show yourself to the priests. Are you with me? Luke chapter 17 is the story of the ten lepers. And they, we'll read it. Let's go from, to verse 12. Jesus entered a village with ten leprous men who stood at a distance and met him. And they raised their voice saying, Master, Jesus, have mercy on us. When he saw them, he said, go show yourself to the priest. Now, this is the only lepers that are recorded in the Bible that Jesus didn't touch. Go show yourself to the priests. As they were going, they were cleansed. Everybody say cleansed. Now, one of them, when he saw that he'd been healed, everybody say healed, turned back glorifying God with a loud voice and he fell on his face at his feet giving thanks to him and he was a Samaritan when Jesus then Jesus answered and said oh I'm sorry gosh I I missed a whole line Uh, now one of them when he saw that he'd been healed turned back glorifying God with a loud voice and he fell and he fell on his face at his feet giving thanks to him and he was a Samaritan then Jesus answered and said to them were there not ten cleansed everybody say cleansed Now the nine, where are they? Was no one found who returned to give glory to God except this foreigner. And he said to him, stand and go your way. Your faith has made you well. Now, in the the English translations, it kind of, it sounds like Jesus is saying, hey, ten lepers got cleansed. He came back, one, one of them gave thanks to him. And he goes, thanks for giving thanks to me. It was your faith that made you well. It was your faith that healed you. But actually, that's not actually what it says in the Greek. It says nine lepers got healed. They got cleansed. When the one leper comes back cleansed, healed, are you with me? He falls on his face and he worships Jesus. And Jesus says, go your way. Your faith has made you sozo. Your faith has made you whole. Nine lepers got healed. One got sozo. One got, are you with me? One got whole. Who do you think is going to stay well? Who do you think got a tri-dimensional healing? The one who came back and gave thanks became sozo. How many know that means saved, delivered, healed, well, whole? I love this one, John chapter 9. This is my favorite one out of the 27 I studied. Jesus was passing by and he saw a blind man from birth. Everybody say, blind from birth. Blind from birth. This is very important. Now, I think, it's, I think it's Luke who also records this story. And this man is crying out, saying, Son of David, have mercy on me. I think it's the same man. And so he's, uh, his disciples asked him, Jesus, Rabbi, who sinned? Who sinned? Remember, man blind from birth. Who sinned? This man or his parents, that he be born blind. Jesus goes on to say, neither sin, this is for the glory of God. And then he brings, brings the blind man to him. And in, in, it's in the book of Luke, if it's the same reference, and I think it is, he says to him, what would you have me do for you? 
And the man says that I would receive my sight. Okay, this guy is blind from birth. He's never seen before. How many know that people are blind from birth? Typically, their other four senses become enlightened, right? This man can hear really well. He knows that the master is somewhere right about here. He can hear the master. And Jesus said, what would you have me do for you? He said that I would receive my sight. And in the vicinity of the master, he hears, <laughs> seems to be coming somewhere as close to the person he asked to heal him. And the next thing is he feels loogies <laughs> running down his eyes, his face. He's got spit with mud mixed in it. Now, is he healed? No. Then Jesus says to him, go wash in a pool of Siloam. Well, it's easy for you to say, you can see. I mean, I don't know if it was, you know, some of the theologians may know. I don't know if it was like one block or one 20 feet or if it was five miles. But whatever it is, this is a man. He can't see. He got loogies running down his face. What, what happened to you? Jesus is healing me. Right? You've been in that process before. You know exactly what I'm talking about. Jesus is healing me. <laughs> it's ugly. <laughs> and he washes in the pool and he gets well. You know the story. Now, what does Jesus need to do to heal this man? Speak a word. So what he spit on him for? Have you ever thought through this? Like, Jesus is like... <laughs> I mean, that has troubled me forever. And it even troubles me more when I realize the centurion says, all you have to do is speak a word. Yeah. Too bad the blind man didn't have that revelation. <laughs> Master, you need not do anything but just speak a word. <laughs> just speak a word, please. <laughs> and I'm reading this, you know, during my wrestle with God. And I'm like, what? why does Jesus spit on a guy? And then I, so I am, you know, I'm pouring over the scriptures and I notice that, first of all, that John makes reference to the fact that he's born blind and the disciples ask, who sinned? And I realized that, you know, we're talking about these guys are still living in Old Covenant, right? Yeah. Matthew 28, verses 1 through 14, God says this, if you serve me, here are all the blessings, 14 verses of blessings. You know, there'll be no famines, there'll be rain, your children will be born amazing, you know, you'll have great cars and houses and people will really think you're amazing. But from verse 15 to verse 68, God said, if you serve other gods, these are all the curses that come upon you. Verse 28 says, and your children will be born blind. When you have a blind child 
in Israeli Old Testament culture. And you're walking along. You know, in our culture, in European culture, most everywhere in the world, when you see somebody with some kind of disease or, or some kind of deformity, all of us have some level of compassion, even if you're not a believer. You see a blind man trying to cross the street, you, you, like, you make sure he makes the light, right? I mean, we're all like that. But in Jewish culture, when somebody saw somebody with leprosy or someone born blind or somebody that was on the list of the, you know, like 40, 50 verses, they would, when they walked, when that person walked down the road, they would spit on them. It was, it was their way of agreeing with God. You deserve, listen, your family served false gods. We agree with God. You can imagine that this little boy, from the time he was little, his parents maybe walking him into town and people be spitting on him. From the time he can remember that noise. What does Jesus do? He takes the thing that was used to curse him his whole life. And he turns the curse into a blessing. So that not only is he healed physically, but he's also healed emotionally. The lepers have to go to see the priest. Every leper has to go see the priest. Why? Because Jesus wants, to be, wants them to be healed physically. He touches them. He wants them to be healed emotionally. And they go see the priest. He wants to reconnect them spiritually. Some years ago, I was, we were, I said, we always pray for the sick on Sunday. And um, one Sunday morning, I, I was preaching, and when we got, I got done preaching, we were you know, praying for people, and we had a whole line of people praying for people, prayer, we call them prayer servants, they're praying for the sick. And this particular morning, probably, I don't know, 300 people lined up for prayer, which is very common. And we were praying for people. Well, when you're the preacher, whoever preaches gets the long line, you know? And I had this long line, and... Uh, and I, I just didn't look up. I just try not to look up. And I was, I, just, I was just praying for people, praying for people. And I mean, I was there for like an hour and 20 minutes. I remember specifically because the 49ers were playing. Oh. <laughs> and I, had, I knew I needed to get home and do some intercessory. <laughs> intercession there. And so the people were all lined up and I, and, and, you know, finally all the other prayer servants were gone and I looked up to see how many people were left and there were three people left. Now, the leaders will know what I'm talking about. Have you ever been done, but you're not done? The hardest thing is when you're done, but you're not done. And it's kind of hard when you, people have waited an hour and a half or an hour or a long period of time for you to pray for them. And it's kind of hard to go, Sorry. <laughs> got to go you know Niners are playing <laughs> you know what I mean it's hard it's hard I think all of the leaders know what I'm saying it's hard and it's hard when you're exhausted when you feel like you have nothing else to give but there's still five people to whatever and so I, I look up and there's three people standing there and I'm like and I say to myself I'm just going to give them the magic dust prayer <laughs> you know the magic dust prayer it's like go and be well I 
And you always say something like, and you know, if it doesn't, you know, if you don't get completely well, you know, come back tonight when the game's over. Pray for you again. I don't really think you're going to get well because I'm not exercising any faith because I have to be connected to do that. So I'm like, so I do the magic dust prayer to the next person line. Magic dust. If you don't get well, come back. And the next lady, so and they're kind of, you know, they're waiting like six feet back for people to have a little privacy. And so I wave the next lady, come, you know, come up. And when she goes to come up, she can't hardly move. She's obviously in a lot of pain. And and she's like, she's like super stiff, and she has that look on her face as if she's in grueling pain. And a little bit of compassion. <laughs> Just a little bit popped out of my, my heart. And I, I, I said to myself, I can't give her the magic dust prayer. You know, I got to, God might, you know, Ananias and Sapphira me. <laughs> so I thought, okay. And I looked up and there was one more person behind her. So I, I put my hands on her and I was going to, you know, seriously pray for her. And as soon as I, I went to pray for her, I heard the Holy Spirit very clearly, which I don't always. And he said to me, I'm not going to heal her through you. I'm going to heal her through her husband. I thought, that's cool. Next, you know. And the Lord said, tell her husband to come up here. I'm like, that's not cool. <laughs> so I said to her, um, Miss, um, I felt like the Lord told me that he's going to heal you through your husband and not through me. So is your husband here? You know how someone gives you that look? Like, they don't have to say, no, but they just get, she, and she went. <laughs> I said, so is your husband here? She went, yeah. I said, can you go get him? She went, I guess so. I said, okay, go get him, and I'll pray for the next person, and then I'll pray for, and then I'll, you know, we'll, we'll, get, you, we'll get you healed. All right. So, I, 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 you know, the next person I pray for, I, I keep my eyes open because the Bible says, watch and pray. So I was watching the other lady, and she's, you know, she's moving really slow. She's in a lot of pain, and her husband's at the very back of the church. And so she walks back there, and I can see that they're having an argument. Not, I can't hear them. Our, our church is fairly large. I can't hear them, but I can see that by their body language that they're in argument. So I pray for this final lady, and, and, and I'm waiting, and they're, come, you know, they're coming very slowly. And, and this, lady, this lady can't hardly walk, and she gets there before her husband. And her husband's like way over here, and, and I look up, and I'm waiting for him, you know. And I, I'm having a little anxiety about it. And he, 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 he gets about this far from me, and he goes, what do you want? <laughs> That's what he said. What do you want? And, you know, have you, does your brain talk to you? <laughs> I'm trying to act totally confident, right? I'm the man of God, the man of <laughs> man of power for the hour. He goes, "What do you want?" And my brain goes, <laughs> "Watch out! Be careful!" Uh oh! Uh oh! Warning! Uh oh! <laughs> Holy Spirit, talk to you. 
Oh, sure he did, sure he did. <laughs> what do you want? I said, when I was praying for your wife, God told me that he was going to heal her through you. So I want you to pray for her. He goes, I don't pray. So like I don't pray. Uh-oh, he doesn't pray. <laughs> liar, liar, pants on fire, liar, liar. Now, I'm fighting off a panic attack at this point. <laughs> but I'm trying to not let, look like that I made a mistake. He goes, I don't pray. And I walk in towards him, and he goes, I don't pray. And I grab his hand, and I pull him. Now, he isn't like being drugged, but he's like resisting. I go, well, you do now. <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Sure you do. And I take his hand and I put it on his wife. And he's just, and she just has her head down. Like, oh my God, I can't believe this is happening. <laughs> and I'm thinking the same thing. This was a bad idea. I'm thinking if this lady has any improvement, it'll be the greatest miracle since Lazarus came out of the grave. That's what I'm thinking. So he puts his hand on her. He doesn't. I have his hand on her. And I say, pray this prayer. He looks at me as if to say, I told you I don't pray. But he didn't say that. He just looked at me. I said, pray this prayer. Uh-oh. <laughs> I said, Jesus. He goes, Jesus. <laughs> Obviously, he had used the name before. I release healing over my wife in the name of Jesus. He looked at me as if to say too many words. I said, I release. He said, I release. Healing. Healing. Over my wife. He looked up at me. I said, just say, over my wife. Over my wife. In Jesus' name. Jesus' name. And he pulls his hand away. And he's coming back over here. I'm like, and I'm thinking, I have my eyes closed. She has her eyes closed. I have, for different reasons, I think. <laughs> I have my eyes closed, and I'm thinking of reasons to tell her why sometimes healing is a process that can take <laughs> seven, eight years. <laughs> you know, that's what I'm thinking. I'm thinking of excuses why she didn't get healed. And I, I literally have my eyes closed, and I am literally like, I am stressed out of my mind. So she's got her head bowed, I have my head bowed, and I hear her. She's not talking to me. She's talking to herself. She says, I think the pain in my elbows is gone. She's not talking to me. She's saying to herself, I know I'm supposed to say, well, try it out. And I'm thinking, it'll come back. And she goes to herself. Now she opens her eyes. I have my eyes open. And she goes, still to herself, I think the, the pain in my knees is gone. Then she looks at me and she says, I think the pain in my knees and my elbows is gone. I know what I'm supposed to do. I, I have school supernatural ministry. <laughs> I know I'm supposed to say, okay, well, you know, walk, you know, move around. 
Now I'm thinking, It'll, it's going to come right back. <laughs> we got a little improvement. Let's just be thankful. <laughs> and, she, and she, by herself, st starts walking. And she's going, she's moving. And she, now she's crying. Like, you know, pretty emotionally. And she's like, all the pain's gone in my body. And he says... You're kidding. I say, are you sure? She's like, she's going back and forth. We're the only three people in the whole sanctuary now. She's like, all the pain in my body's gone. And he keeps saying, are you kidding? I keep saying, are you sure? Stories longer, but it ends in them holding, grabbing hands and walking out the doorway together. I mean, all we needed was a sunset. You know what I mean? You couldn't have written the script better than that. No, I have totally forgot about the 49er game. And I get in my car and I'm driving home by myself. There's nobody in my car. And I say out loud, why did you heal her through him and not through me? He said, he broke her, he can fix her. What did he say? He broke her, he can fix her. And she told me that she'd had this for 13 years. And I said, how did he break her? He said, 14 years ago, he committed adultery. But he repented, but she's never trusted him. So I decided to use this healing to heal their marriage and heal her body. So I used the one who broke her to fix her. Well, that's a good word right there. <clears throat> How many know that the Lord wants to heal the whole person? He cares about the whole person. During this season, I read First John, I'm sorry, 3 John 2, and you, you'll know this scripture. Beloved, I pray that in all respects that you'd prosper and be in good health just as your soul prospers. I know that scripture well. I've got it memorized. I've had it memorized before this season. That I, was, that I was going through this struggling season. But this is how I read this verse. Beloved, I pray that in all respects you may prosper and be in good health just as your spirit prospers. I know it says soul, but that's not what I read. But during this season, soul jumps out of the Bible and like a soldier begins to talk to me and say, I'm a soul man. We all know how that happens. Or you can read a verse for 150 times and suddenly something jumps out at you. You swear it was never there before. And it says, I'm a soul. And so I look up the words, the word psyche. I'm like, and I realize something like, like things start to unfold to me. Beloved, I'm, okay, it's talking to us. I pray that you would prosper and be in good health. Even as your soul prospers, and I realize that all prosperity and health are not directly related to my spirit. They're directly related to my soul, and they're indirectly related to my spirit. And that if I oppress my soul, that's why people are sick, and that's why they're, they're in poverty, and that's why they don't prosper. And when I'm talking about prosperity, I'm not just talking about money. I'm talking about relationships and marriages and everything else. But I'm also talking about finances. And I don't mean 
you can measure your spirituality by your bank account unless you can. <laughs> you didn't get the last part. <laughs> I started to realize this is why our marriages, that's why, this is why we have the same statistic for mar- our divorce as the world. This is why the poorest, most impoverished people on the planet are believers. This is why we're just as sick as anyone else. This is why people aren't flocking to churches because we go, you know, you go to church, you stay healthy and happy. No, most of the time we're like, come be a Christian, be miserable like me. And we develop theologies around it. Well, brother, you know, you got to take up your cross, kill yourself and follow me. Of course, that all works, you know, because you, 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 you can get your feet nailed in one hand, then your friends will always come and help you with the other. <laughs> Proverbs says, Proverbs 17, 22 says, A joyful heart is what? Good medicine. But a broken what? Spirit dries up the bones. My point here is that he says joyful heart is good medicine, but a broken spirit dries up the bones. What's my point here? Is that sometimes what's happening in your bones is actually not related to your bones. It's actually related to your spirit. Sometimes what's happening in your, in your body is related to another dimension of your being is the whole point. For the sake of time, we're only on, we're on page seven of my notes, and we have 21 pages. <laughs> Preach the eternal gospel. <clears throat> you know, for thousands of years, a couple thousand years of Christianity, people believed, like the Gnostics believed, that everything material was evil. And spiritual things, it, listen, if it touched your emotion, it was evil. Like, if you wanted to be spiritual, then you couldn't be emotional. It got so, it, you know, it, in, in, in the dark age, it got so emphasized that believers went to monasteries so they would be separated from society, so they wouldn't stimulate themselves emotionally, so they could be, quote, spiritual. Then they got in the monasteries for hundreds of years, and they realized they could stimulate each other emotionally. So then they took vows of silence. Ladies, can you imagine? (laughs) I'm not picking on you, but you statistically use a lot of words. Can you imagine taking vows of silence your whole life? You wouldn't speak. What was this based on? Well, a lot of it was based on the fact that if you stimulate yourself emotionally, if anything that happened to you emotionally was considered not spiritual, you're not being godly. It's not godly to, you know, sexuality was, sex was only for children and there was no, not supposed to be any pleasure in it. Anything that had to do with pleasure was considered evil, something to stay away from if you really wanted a relationship with God. And so we begin to, we begin to see ourselves as people that were born to be 
You know, it's like living on the Vulcan planet and being Spock-like. And Harold, reading uh, Harold's book really helped me with this. In Hebrews chapter 4, a lot, of, a lot of this theology came around this one verse, Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12, which you probably know it. Harold's been here, so he's probably preached this here. For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing as far as division between soul and spirit, between joints and marrow, and able to judge the thoughts and intentions of the heart. And of course, uh, that seems to say that God is trying to separate the spirit from the soul. Soul bad, spirit good. And God's got a sword that's trying to divide that and so that I can actually be a spirit, spiritual person. And, and Harold and then some others that after Harold, I began to talk to some other theologians. And actually it reads like this in the Greek, something like this. And the word of God is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword, dividing between the soul and the soul and the spirit and the spirit. Well, you can understand that would be a hard trans... What does that mean? Well, instead of the sword dividing this way, the sword is dividing this way. The sword is so sharp that it could, it, it, it's taking out everything that shouldn't be in my spirit. It's dividing everything that shouldn't be in my spirit from everything that should be. And it's dividing everything that shouldn't be in my soul from everything that should be. And it's sharper than a two-edged sword. So God can, he can cut out every single cell that shouldn't be there without touching one cell that should be. Psalms 34.2, my soul, David wrote, makes a boast in the Lord. What does? My soul makes a boast in the Lord, and the humble hear it and rejoice. Deuteronomy 4.29, and from there you'll seek the Lord, and you will find him if you search for him with all your heart and all your soul. Deuteronomy 6.5, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your might. How many know heart, Old Testament word for spirit? All your heart. All your soul, all your might. Spirit, soul, might. Body. Are you with me? This is Old Testament. This is before we were a new creation. Before you were a new creation, your soul already loved God. The psalmist uh, wrote, David wrote in Psalm 63, Oh God, you're my God. I shall seek you earnestly. My soul thirsts for you. What's thirst? What thirsts for you? My soul. My flesh. What? My flesh yearns for you in a dry and thirsty land where there's no water. What's the point? Listen, your soul, your body, and your spirit all love God. All love God. God didn't make a mistake. You are a new creation. You're not a new spirit. You're a whole new creation. And for the sake of time, how many know that you're... Your spirit needs stuff. And we, every Sunday we tell you, you need to be spiritual, you need to read your Bible. You need to pray. You need to fast. I haven't got that one down too well. You need fellowship. I'm not saying you want it, I'm saying you need it. Like your spirit actually needs it to grow. Are, are, you, are you with me at all? I'm not saying that you don't want it, I'm saying that whether you want it or not, you need it. And we've all been there, you know, where you're, you're reading your Bible and your spirit is like, oh, yeah. and your soul's like, can we watch a movie? Right? Come on, be real. Sometimes your soul's like, 
we know the next line. We have read this book a lot. <laughs> or you're in worship, right? I mean, you know, the music's playing and your spirit's like, oh, and your soul's like, we don't even like this song. <laughs> Wish they'd play one we can dance to, you know? But your spirit needs stuff. And how many know your body needs stuff? Needs it. I, I'm not, I know that we want some of it, but I mean, you need it. Like, like you need sleep. Some of you are like, that's a revelation. <laughs> you need water. You need sunlight. You, you, you need exercise, nutrition. You need air. You don't want air. You need it. You know, if you, get, if you fall in a pool and you're drowning, nobody walks by and goes, you just need air. You read your Bible, you wouldn't eat air, you. You airhead. Just need air. Shh. Some people's kids. No, no, you see somebody drowning, you jump in the pool, right? And they don't go, oh, thank you. You saw I needed air. You have come to help me. No, no, no. Sometimes you have to give them the fivefold ministry. To get them out of the pool. Because somebody who needs air, they'll take you with them. I'd like to propose to you that your soul needs stuff. Here we go. Remember they saw him walking and praising God, but what didn't they see him do? Leaping. Your soul needs stuff. It needs affection. It needs attention. It needs a sense of love. It needs a sense of significance. I'm not saying it wants it. I'm saying it needs it. Oh, you just trying to get attention, you fleshly believer. I need air. No, I'm not. Yes, you are. Did that for attention. Evil. Listen, listen. If you don't think that you need attention. How many of you have children? Just try ignoring them for one day. No, I mean, don't be cruel to them. Just ignore them. If they can't get attention in a positive way, they will get attention. They will. You know why? You know why? Because they were born not to want it, to need it. I have a friend who's a prison warden. He said, the worst, the worst punishment that you can give to any prisoner is not to put him in with other prisoners who hate him. It's to put him in solitary confinement. And my friend said, if you leave any prisoner in solitary confinement for more than 40 days, he will come out mentally ill. You know why? Because he needs, he needs attention. He needs relation. He doesn't just want it. He needs it for his well-being. Here we go. In, in Luke chapter 7, oh gosh, it's almost noon. I just need to finish before Jesus gets back. <laughs> He's coming back at noon today. And in Luke chapter 7, verse 37, it says, there was a woman in a city who was a sinner. Actually, that word sinner is not the normal word sinner. It means that she was 
She was immoral in some way. She was a prostitute. She was a whore. There was, she was something immoral. And when she learned that Jesus was reclining at the table of the Pharisee's house, she brought an alabaster vial of perfume. And standing behind him at his feet, weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears, and she kept wiping him, wiping them with his, with her hair of head. I'm sorry, and wiping them with the hair of her, of her head, and kissing his feet and anointing them with perfume. Now, when the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, "If this man were a prophet, he would know." What, kind, what sort of person this woman is who's touching him, for she is a prostitute. Now let me stop for just a minute and set the scene up for you. Jesus and the Pharisees, they don't get along. Right? You figure that out? And so this Pharisee's taking a pretty big risk. He's having Jesus over his house for dinner. Now typically when a Pharisee has Jesus over for dinner, typically Jesus has the Pharisee for dinner. So, and this is, this, is, this is Luke 7. This is, Jesus is at his, he's at the peak of his fame. So he's, he's the most famous person in all of Israel. And the Pharisee is probably, I just, you know, this is subjective, but the Pharisee's taking a big old risk because his friends don't like Jesus. And somehow he's trying to make some connection with the Savior of the world. And he brings Jesus over, and of course the 12 musketeers have to come with him, and, and so he's got 13 people at his table. And I just, I just summarized that he's nervous. And that he probably wants everything to go really well. What, and you have a special guest over. Do you want things to go like extra well? Yeah. Don't you like, if you have children, you're like, if you spill the milk, when they get here, we will kill you. Right? You just want things to go well, don't you? So here's a Pharisee, he's probably, you know, I don't know, I just, I think maybe for a couple of days he's had his wife cooking, he wants everything to go really well, and you know, he's just like, he's nervous, he's like, you know, he's heard about other Pharisees who've had tried to have Jesus over, and so, you know, and you know, he's got the house extra clean, they vacuum, the things are looking nice, and Jesus comes over and they're having this nice dinner, and in comes this woman, she doesn't knock, she walks in the house, and she's a prostitute. Now, if you had somebody over, like you had Bill Johnson over your house, and a prostitute breaks in your house, would you be a little nervous? <laughs> and the Pharisee's name's Simon. I, I think Simon's thinking, I hope Jesus doesn't think she came early. <laughs> you know? I think he's like, Mamma Mia, I can't believe this is happening. <laughs> and, the, and the prostitute doesn't like, you know, go stand in the corner and, you know, watch Jesus from a distance. I mean, she becomes the center of attention. She comes over and she starts weeping. And she's weeping and she gets down on her knees and she's washing his feet with her tears. You know, and Jesus just like passed the corn. You know, he's just like letting it all happen, you know? And Simon thinks to himself. He doesn't say it. He just thinks to himself. This guy was a prophet. He'd know what kind of woman this is. It's washing his feet. And Jesus says this to him. Listen to this. And Jesus answered Simon. <laughs> Simon didn't say anything. <laughs> it's pretty scary when the Lord can like, woo you know? 
See what you're thinking. Jesus answered Simon and said to Simon, I have something to say to you. And he replied, say it, teacher. A money lender had two debtors. One owed him 500 denarii, another 50. When they were unable to repay, he graciously forgave them both. So which of them do you think will love him more? And Simon answered and said, I suppose the one who forgave him. He forgave more. And he said to him, you've judged rightly. And turning to the woman, he said to Simon, do you see this woman? I have to stop and just tell you something. This would take a lot longer for me to actually develop. But Jesus, when Jesus walked the earth, he did not walk the earth in what we call Old Testament culture. He walked the earth during Judaism. Just to give you an idea, between, between Malachi and Matthew, a religion called Judaism arose. How many of you know there was no Pharisees in the Old Testament? There was no, there was no Sadducees in the, in the Old Testament. Where did they come from? They came from this religion developed out of the Old Testament called Judaism. The Old Testament, for instance, had 211 laws. Like you took all the Levitical laws, there's 211. By the time Jesus walked the earth, Judaism had 617. Almost 100 of those laws were against women. Pharisees hated women. The most famous scribe of their time said, I'd, rabbi of their time said, I'd rather teach, I'd, he said, I'd rather burn the Torah than teach it to a woman. Women were not allowed to learn the scriptures. And here's another one of the laws, one of the extra rules. The, uh, a Pharisee, a scribe, a religious person could not look at a woman. I don't mean to lust after. He couldn't acknowledge she was in the room. If men were eating, women had to be put out of the room. If a man came to your house, ladies, for dinner, you made the dinner and you had to eat in another room. Are you with me? You were a possession. You were a possession. So, so, so I, need you, I need you to know that because of what's about to happen. He says to Simon, Simon, do you see this woman? He's not saying, do you see this woman? He's saying, Simon, look at this woman. I know what your law says. I'm telling you, look at this woman. Do you see this woman? And here's what he says about her. Look at this. And turning to the woman, he said, Simon, do you see this woman? I entered your house. You gave me no water for my feet. And by the way, we know you were supposed to. You were supposed to wash my feet. I was your guest. You thought I, you thought I didn't notice that, didn't you? But she... You gave me no water for my feet, but she has wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. And Simon, when I came to your house, you gave me no kisses. She, since the time I came in here, has not ceased to kiss my feet. And you did not anoint my head with oil. And you know you were supposed to. One of your 617 rules. But she has anointed my feet with her perfume. And for this reason, I say to you, her sins, which are many, have been forgiven, for she loved much. But he has been forgiven little, loves little. Then he said to her, your sins have been forgiven. I want to finish with this concept. It'll take me five minutes. Can you give me five minutes? He's saying to Simon, Simon, do you see this woman? You gave me no kisses. The point is, you should have. 
Simon, you did not anoint my head with oil, but she anointed my feet with perfume. She has not ceased to wet my feet with her tears. The Pharisees hated emotion. Jesus said, this is what you should have done. The Pharisees turned religion into a Spock-like Vulcan planet where emotions were not allowed. That's why when Jesus comes to the tomb of Lazarus, he knows he's going to raise him from the dead. But it says Jesus wept. One of the most powerful verses in the entire gospel. And Jesus wept. He didn't weep because he, he, didn't, because he was like, oh, I hope this works. <laughs> he wept because he was saying to Mary, I get you. I'm with you. I value emotion. Are you with me? The, 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 the masculine you know, believer doesn't know anything about this. And Jesus is saying, I value women. I value emotion. I value the soul. I love the fact that she's emotional. And so should you have been, Simon. You have missed the other side of the nature of God. You know, three times in the Bible, Paul writes and Peter writes, greet one another with a holy kiss. I had this thing happen years ago. This is probably five years ago. I was walking through the sanctuary, nobody there, except for six of my students, gals, six gals standing in a circle talking. And I'm probably here to the wall, and I see them. And I'm going to say to my to my students, to these gals, you're beautiful. I'm going to say that. I have it in my mind. When I walk by, I'm going to say, you girls are so beautiful. But as I get closer, this thing happens in my mind. This voice says to me, if you tell those girls they're beautiful, they'll think you're sexualizing them. If anyone hears you, they'll think that you're sexualizing those girls. And I begin to have this war in my mind. You know, I already told you how my mind talks to me. <laughs> And so I, I, I'm, I'm standing there. This is happening this fast. But I'm standing there, and I'm thinking about that. And this, this voice says, oh, you're don't think you're so... It's like... Oh. And i got this war going on. And so I, I, so I stop. I'm standing there for probably just a second or two. And I have this picture in my mind, this vision. And I'm taken back to when my daughter... I have two daughters, Jamie and Shannon. Jamie's the oldest. Shannon's uh, 18 months younger. And my, when, they were in, when they were teenagers, our youth pastor used to have alternative things for the, instead of the kids going to this, the high school dances, he'd have something, altern, an alternative for them where the girls and the guys could get together in a, a healthy, in, in a healthy environment and they could get to know each other. And so he would you know, set it up so they could ask each, out, each other out on this date where they would all go to this thing. Well... My youngest daughter, Shannon, and by the way, my, both my girls were very beautiful. My youngest daughter, Shannon, a month before each of those events, and there would be four of them a year, all through high school, so 16 of them that my girls went through together. Shannon, the phone would start ringing, ringing a month before the event. Hello, is Shannon there? Jamie would run to the phone, answer the phone. Hello, is Shannon there? Hello, is Shannon there? Hi, is Shannon there? About a week before the event, Jamie would say, I'm not answering the phone anymore. 
Shannon and Jamie, you know, they stayed, they lived in the same room for their whole growing up years. Went to Russia, China, they've been all over traveling the world together. They're very close. Shannon would get 10, 12 offers to go on a date. Jamie would get none. None. Guy would come to pick Shannon up for the date. Jamie would try to act like she was happy and nothing... (laughs) wasn't bothering her, nothing was, you know, she was happy for Shannon. As soon as the door would close, Jamie would run upstairs, throw herself on her bed, and weep. And I would run upstairs and throw myself on her bed next to her, and I'd put my arms around her, and I'd say, you're so beautiful, and I'd put my hands on her face, and I'd say, look at me, you are so beautiful. And she'd say, Daddy, what's wrong with me? Daddy, what's wrong with me? Daddy, am I ugly? And I'd say, no, you're so beautiful, the boys are intimidated by you. Don't tell Shannon. (laughs) We did that for four years. Not one imitation. Not one Let's go run upstairs month after month, year after year. Daddy, what's wrong with me? Daddy, am I ugly? Daddy, am I fat? Daddy, what's wrong with me? And I tell her, get your best stuff. I'm going to take you on a date. I took that girl on more dates than I took my wife on before we were married. (laughs) Then I would say, you're beautiful. There's nothing wrong with you. Daddy, daddy, boys don't look at me. Daddy, boys don't like me. And I'd say, God's saving you for a prince. God is saving you for a prince. Of course, she's married to a prince now. They're senior pastors at a church. She has two children. It's all good. Now I'm back in the sanctuary, and I see those six girls. Now I'm going to walk by and say, you're beautiful. Now I'm on a mission. And And I've had this thought. What if Jamie, in those tender years, she didn't have a daddy? What if she didn't have a daddy to say, you're beautiful, there's nothing wrong with you? And what if she would have, what if she would have, I mean, my, my daughter's married as virgins. What if she would have crossed the line because she needed the affection of a man? What if she would have done it more than once? How many of you know your, reputation, your repetition becomes your reputation? What if she would have done it several times? Guess who isn't going to get a hug when she gets to church now? Guess who isn't going to get a holy kiss when she walks into church now? It's the girl with the reputation. No pastor is going to hug a girl with a reputation. Are you kidding me? That hurt my reputation. And what are we doing? Created an ecosystem. We're creating an ecosystem that pushes them, that causes them to look for love. And then we accuse them. Oh, you prostitute, you had an abortion, you. But what if she didn't have no daddy to say in those tender years, there's nothing wrong with you. You're beautiful. I have all this going on. It's probably five seconds long. Now, 
And I say to myself, I will never, this is after that moment, I say to myself, I will never let anybody tell me how to treat the daughters of God, providing my heart is pure. So I walk by those girls. I walk by those six girls, five girls, six girls, I think it was. And I was just going to say, you girls are beautiful. But now I stop, because I'm on a mission. (laughs) I'll be late to the meeting. And I say to those girls, girls, look at me. You're all so beautiful. At all. I said, no, no, I mean it. Your girls are so beautiful. If I was your daddy, I'd be telling you that every day. You're so beautiful. Those girls follow me around like little chickens. (laughs) The rest of the year. That's why they call them chicks. (laughs) Would you stand, please? How many know that God cares about the whole person? How many understand that God's the most emotional guy in the Bible? People go, God doesn't like emotion. Have you read the Bible? (laughs) I don't know where you get that. You must be reading another Bible. And how many of you know that we need to restore holy affection? And that Vulcan-like Spock spirit that is prevalent in most every church needs to be broken. And and churches need to be a place where people can get, they can walk. They can praise God, but they can leap. And where the church goes, they walked, they leaped, and they praised God. And we're excited that our people leap, and we stop trying to make excuses. Oh, no, our people don't leap. No, our people leap. Our people leave. That's why they're whole. That's why they're healthy. That's why they're prosperous. Because we have a high value for the fact that they leave. Would you put your hands out like this? Holy Spirit, I just release. In fact, put your hands on your heart. God, I just pray right now. David said, the Lord restored my soul. I pray that you would restore the souls of people. That emotion would come back to the church and that the feminine side of God would be released over the church so that we could know God in all of his fullness. Lord, I just release that to every person. And God, I pray for every person, both male or female in here, that didn't have a daddy. Maybe you're a guy and and the girls didn't want to date you. And you got a lot of no's and you're like, what's wrong with me? And you didn't have a mom or a dad to say, you're amazing. There's nothing wrong with you. God, I pray for the years of pain that maybe some people walk in because of those tender years when they were developing their sense of who they are. God, I pray that you would go in and that you would restore their souls. God, that you would go in right now and you would restore their souls in the name of Jesus. The broken pieces of their heart, the shattered hearts that are in this room today. Even as we tell the story, I see people all over the congregation weeping. You know, you're like, I, I was Jamie. I didn't have a daddy. God, I just release, first of all, forgiveness for maybe anywhere where we crossed the line because we were looking for love 
in wrong places. God, I thank you that you're the God of new beginnings. You're the God who knows how to restore spirit, soul, and body. You can restore even our virginity, God. You're just amazing. You can do it. You can give us a fresh start. You can cleanse us from all unrighteousness. You can break soul ties off of our lives. God, I'm so thankful that, it, that, that history, that love rewrites our history. And God, I just pray right now that you would rewrite the history of so many people in this room. And that we would have men in this room who have no other agenda when they give a holy kiss, a holy hug. Women that can do the same. That we would have, there would be purity in our lives. So when I give you a hug, there ain't nothing going on, but I love you. You deserve to be loved. I bless you in the name of Jesus.